Tonight is healing. And Brother Moore is going through in depth on the will of God for healing. And uh, I don't know that I'm going to go as in depth as what Brother Moore does. I don't know that that's possible for me where I'm at right now. But we are going to go into the will of God for healing. But we're going to start out a little, little farther, more along the lines of what you hear at most churches. So we're going to take off in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. You see, you can't have all the other stuff unless you understand who the Son of Man is and what He did for you. And the main thing you're going to hear whenever you go to any other church, anywhere, if they don't have the teaching on healing, you're going to get teaching on salvation. And they know everywhere that it is the will of God for everyone to be saved. And so you're going to hear the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. Now go on to 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to keep you busy for a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Verse 3, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come unto the knowledge of the truth. Aren't you glad we know what the truth is? We say all the time in healing school, whenever you get a bad report, that's a fact. The doctors have assumed that's what they're reading when they look at the report, and that's a fact to them. The Word of God is a truth. Every time you introduce the truth to a fact, the fact has to change. Because the Word of God will make it come out that way. That's your right as a child of God. Whenever it looks like it's going to be one way, and you step up and you go, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, you did this, and I have this right and authority. This is what it should be. Now you've introduced truth. It has to line up. So the fact has to change. Isn't that awesome? Second Peter. Chapter 3. Told you I was going to keep you busy. I'm believing not to keep the camera guys too busy. They better be believing with me. Second Peter chapter 3. In verse 9, this is in the Amplified. And I just want, the last part says, Not desiring that any should perish, but that all should turn to repentance. You see, the only reason we're going through some of those is everybody believes that it's the will of God for you to be saved. How many of you believe that? Okay, everybody believes that. There isn't anybody that's a Christian that doesn't believe it's the will of God for every single person. doesn't matter if they were a mass murderer last week. If they came and they repented and they said, 
I missed it. I did not understand. I'm sorry. God will save them. He wants every one of them saved. He wants every one of them to know the goodness that he has. And so we don't have any doubts on that. And that's why we went there to begin with, because I want you to start on something that we all know is the truth. And then we're going to progress it on over into healing, because the same Jesus that paid for your salvation also paid for your healing. At the same time, and it's just as much the will of God for you to be healed tonight as it is for you to go to heaven. There isn't any difference. The only thing that that is different with it is you can be sick and still go to heaven. See, you can be lame and still go to heaven. It depends on where your faith is and what you're believing for. You can't go to heaven unless you know Jesus. So there's a lot of difference in that fact. And that's why so many people get caught up on, well, you know, I'm just believing I'm saved. They don't put their faith on everything because they're believing so strong through condemnation and other things, just to get to heaven. There's a bunch of old songs that they really bothered me once I learned a little bit. They say, oh, if I can just get through the gate. And just inside the gate. And if I can just get a little corner. Praise the Lord, i got a mansion. And it's a big one. And it's got lots of room and it's got everything that I want in it. Nothing's left out. And it's just mine. I get to walk in and I'm going to know it because everything that I want's there. I walk in and I'm like, mm, no, I don't think I like that. Oh, the shutters are wrong on that. You know, I don't like that porch. Oh, there it is. I like everything about that one. You see, because it's mine. And my God's good enough to do that for me. Let's go to Psalms 105. Praise the Lord, He's helping us. Psalms 105, verse 37. He brought them forth also with silver and gold, and there was not one feeble person among their tribe. This is Israel when they came out of Egypt after they were in bondage. How many of you know that when you're a slave and you're in slave labor... They're probably not putting you up in the Ritz every night. Okay? The, The living conditions probably weren't the best. They probably weren't the greatest. They probably didn't get, um, Evian water. You know? They didn't have towels every time they were sweating a little to wipe their, their brow. They didn't have the quality of life that they were headed for. But you know, God loved them so much that when He was ready to bring them out, All of the ones that weren't quite up to par, He healed. Because when they came out, not one sick, not one feeble. I'm going to run through a number or two with you just because I want you to understand something. And so there's going to be a little bit of participation. I need every person that is a male between the age of 20 and 40 to stand up. 20 and 40, just the men. All right, now look around at how many other people are still sitting. Okay? Just look around at all of the other people and how many men are standing and how many three or four times as many people are still, are still sitting. Now you can be seated. 
Okay, when the children of Israel came out of Egypt, two years afterward they took a census. And that two years later, if you follow any kind of uh, growth with population, the older generation doesn't have as many as the younger generation, correct? Okay, so two years after they moved in, some of those people were older to where they did no longer fight in the battle, right? But by growth, many, many more that were 16, 17, 18 now turned 20 old enough to fight. So you got a larger number now than what they had. More people counted, right? Okay, well... If you go down through in Numbers, chapter 1, verse 1 through 46, it it itemizes all of this. Just in Reuben's family, there was 46,500 men between the over 20 that were fighting age. The reason I did 20 to 40 is for our military, roughly that's our fighting age. 18 to 40, 42, okay? Just to give you an idea of the number. Simeon had 59,300, Gad had 46,650, Judah had 74,600, Issachar had 54,400, Zebulun 57,400, Ephraim 40,500, Manasseh 32,200, Benjamin 35,400, Dan 62,700, Asher, 41,500, Naphtali, 53,400, for a total of 603,550 men fighting age. That's a whole lot of people to bring out. And then when we looked around, at least three times as many people were still sitting. At least. Okay? That's real conservative. We're not exact. It's not a science. But a lot more people came out that weren't fighting age and weren't men. Correct? So, 603,550, and not one of them walked with a limp. Not one of them had kidney failure. Not one of them had a vertebrae that was fused together. Not one of them couldn't see very well. Every one of them was well. You know why? They were children of God. They didn't have to do anything else. They were the seed of Abraham, children of God. And no matter what they'd been through, and no matter how many times, I mean, you can read through it, they did stuff that made God upset a lot. I mean, they they had a few black sheep in there. And so these people who had disappointed God here and disappointed God there and maybe weren't just perfect... God still healed them, every one. Didn't leave one of them out, not anywhere. Didn't have one of them that kind of slipped through the cracks. And I saw a movie a while back on uh, Israel coming out of Egypt, and it made me mad. Because it shows them right after they leave Egypt, and they got hammocks with people carrying the sick people, and an old man with his leg in a splint, And all these people with their backs all hunched over, barely walking. That's not true. It is not true. It is false and it is people wanting their condition to be okay. 
wanting to be able to blame God for something, wanting it to be anybody's fault but their own. Because misery loves company. And if you can't get faith enough to get to where you want to be, you want somebody else where you're at. You see, that's why Satan wants so many people to go to hell with him. He figured out that's a bad place and he really don't want to be there. And so he's trying to get some other people to go along. He's hoping enough bodies in there it'll warm that or cool that place down a little. First Peter chapter two. First Peter chapter two. In verse 21, this one I'll be in the New Living Translation. For God called you to do good, even if it meant suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. You see, if you're a Christian, you don't have other options. You can't. If you work for a company that sells a certain product and you go out the door and you try to solicit business to everybody else, how long are you going to stay in that company? You're not. Because when you are a part of that, you're supposed to be a part of it all the time. When you're a Christian, you can't walk around outside and tell how great Buddha was. Okay? That's not a Christian. We are Christians. We follow after Christ. Okay? And so you don't have the option. You were given an example. Now, my grandma was an awesome lady. She was... If anybody that there was on the face of the earth that I wanted to pray for me, it was my grandma. Because you could almost just feel heaven open when she prayed. But my grandma did not line up anywhere close to where Jesus was. You see, my grandma only knew what she knew. My grandma only had the revelation that she had. And my grandma made mistakes and she was born of sin. So she cannot stack up to Jesus. And any time I would look at something and go, well, you know, I'm about as good as grandma, I'm wrong. Because my goal is not to be as good as my grandma was. And if you look at people and you look at things and you're like, well, you know... I build houses about as well as Dan does. Or I do carpet about as well as Dave does. Well, when you start working on that with anything else, and you start saying, well, you know, I'm a pretty good Christian. I'm, I, I'm as good as this guy is. You're missing it. Your whole meter is wrong. Because the meter should read over to Jesus. And that should be full. Anything that doesn't get there, you're still empty. Whenever you can get that meter to work toward Jesus, you're going somewhere. Whenever you put anybody else's face there other than the Son of God, you're missing it. And you're not following the Word. He is our example. God sent Him because we needed somebody we could look at and relate to. It's hard to picture God... Not many people have seen Him and looked upon His face. But you know, hundreds of thousands of people saw Jesus when He was on earth. And He walked around as a man. And they saw Him. When He walked, dust popped up under His feet. His feet got dirty. He had to wash. He had to go and eat. 
He had to do all of these things we can relate to because He gave and laid aside that deity, that mighty weight and stature. And He became a man. And when He did, millions of people now can relate to God on earth. You see, if you go to First John or to John chapter one, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now you have the Word made flesh, walking among men, and the Word is the same as God. So now you can look at Jesus and see God, and now you can relate. See, when you build houses, so many times you lay the floor plan out. And you get all of this together and people walk in and they're, they have no idea what they're looking at. You can have every wall laid out. You can have everything marked on the floor. And they walk in and go, I don't know, is it big enough? I don't, where's this? And you've got it drawn. they got a blueprint, they can see it. But it doesn't relate until you get the walls up and you get the drywall in and you get the stool where it goes and they see that the door misses it. You see, all of those things, you have to wait to a point for some people to see them. Well, that's the way we were. We couldn't see and visualize God. That's why the Israelites made the calf. That's why the Israelites had this and they had that and they wanted this up and they wanted that up. They wanted to see and feel God. We're the same way. You can talk it all you want to talk. We're the same way. We want a tangible God. Right? We had one. He walked on earth. He went to heaven. We're going to all go and see Him soon, right? That's what we're after. That's why God gave us that example. Let's go to John chapter 4. You see, God knows what we need long before we do. And you know, after they built a whole bunch of stuff and named it this and named it that, God was going, hmm, they need something they can see, don't they? Not the brightest bulb in the closet, are they? Anyway, John chapter 4, verse 34. Um, The one I'm going to read is the Young's literal translation. It said, Jesus saith to them, my food is that I may do the will of him who sent me and may finish his work. Glory to God. In the King James it says, Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. You see, he's our example, so what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to do the will of God and finish what Jesus started. Is that right? If you look at it on simple terms, you don't get all confused with anything. Because we look at stuff and we get overwhelmed. I relate a lot of stuff to building just because that's what I've done most of my life. And when you walk in and there's a whole bunch of pieces to something, it gets overwhelming. But you know, if you start in one spot and you get two or three pieces together, before long you've got all of those pieces put in place, and it wasn't a big deal. And that's what this is. We get overwhelmed sometimes looking at all of the things Jesus did. Oh, we've got to do this and we've got to do this and we've got to... See, we're in works. We're not saved by works. None of us are worthy by works. Not one of us can walk up to the, to the gate of heaven and go, You know, I did all of this stuff. Here's my resume. I'm ready to come in. 
It's not going to work. Because you're not there on works. But we get caught up in it. And we get overwhelmed with it. Going, oh, if I could just... I need to do this. But Now, they asked me to do this and I've got... And then we're torn. And then we get our eyes off of God. And off of what He wants us to do. And we get clear over to the other side. And then when things aren't going right, we start looking around going, wait a minute, I don't recognize any of these people. All of those blessed people I was with earlier, they're not around me anymore. And then we start turning around looking for that crowd we were with that the blessing was on. You see that perfect protection series we had about the wing and staying under the wing and the protection of God, the blessings under that same wing. See, once you walk out from under it and you don't recognize people, the blessings stop. Because now you're back to whatever you can do. Because you now are on your own accord. God's not intervening for you. You no longer have an advocate sitting at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you because now you're out here. And so every time there's a decision made, it's your decision. And you physically have to back it. Let's go to John chapter 5, a couple of pages. If you've got a red letter Bible, verse 30 is red letter. That means Jesus himself said this. He said, I can of mine own self do nothing. You see, we get caught up and we think we can do something. And here the Son of Man, our example, the one who got the Spirit without measure, the one who never sinned, the one who was tempted and overcame every one of them. And here he's going, you know, I can't do anything on my own. That's a whole message in itself. We think we can do stuff. When the Son of Man said, you know, I can't. If it wasn't for my father, and if it wasn't for the teaching he gave me, and all of the stuff he's taught me, I'd never be able to function. And so he said, I can of mine own self do nothing. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of the Father which hath sent me. Glory to God. Go on over to John chapter 6, verse 38. This is also red letter. Jesus said, For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him that sent me. Okay? The reason we went through those is I wanted you to have more than one of those red letter ones where Jesus Himself said, You know, I can't do it on my own. I can only do the will of the One who sent me. And when Jesus said that, He wasn't going, You know, I can't do anything. He was sincere. It wasn't a joke to him. He wasn't trying to put one over on his disciples, trying to get appear to be humble. It was the Son of God that said, you know, I know where my strength lies. And my strength's over here in my Father. And without Him, I can't do anything. And the only reason I'm here is because He thought enough of me to let me come down and do His will on this earth. And you know, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to realize that Jesus and God the Father think enough of you that they put their name on you. They called you their own. 
They allowed you to come down and do their work. To finish what He started. To carry it on out. That's what He wants you for. The workers are few. That's why He's recruiting more workers. Big harvest field. Ripe, ready, waiting to get to go home. But not enough people out there cutting it down and stacking it. Glory to God. Matthew chapter 4. Now that we know and we've established for tonight, most of you have already heard this. I brought a card just for this purpose. You know, um, when you're in school, they didn't walk up to you and show you a card and say, them, put it back away and go, now you know it. Don't ever have to show you that ever again. They never walked up to you and said, two plus two is four. Now you know that. We'll put those away. You see, you had to learn it over and over and over and over and over. Not one time did your teacher in kindergarten come up and go, you know, see Dick run. Now you can read. (laughs) Right? You had to see it. And you had to see it. And you had to hear it. And you had to hear it. And to the point that you were, two plus two is four. And you could see it in your sleep. And everywhere you went and you saw two of something and two of something else, you're like, four. You didn't have to sit there and wonder about it. You didn't dwell upon it and go, um, you know, there's one. And I think that's another one. It was so repetitious, you knew it. Well, that's what we're doing with the Word of God on healing. You may have seen it a thousand times, but you know if you're sick, you don't have the revelation of it. You need at least one more time. If you need healing in your body, you don't have it yet. You can say, you know, Jesus bore all of, my, all of those stripes for my healing. And you can say it and you can tell people about it. And you can, you can quote all of these scriptures in Isaiah and, in, and Peter and, and all over the place. And you can tell them to everybody. But if you still need healing, you aren't there yet. And so that's what we're doing. Because you didn't learn 2 plus 2 is 4 the first time they showed it to you. Or the second, or the third, or the fourth, or the next year, or the next year. It took you some time to learn all of those. And they showed it to you again and again. You know why? Your teacher loved you. They put up with you. And they taught you. Because they wanted something better for you. Well, that's why God did this. Matthew chapter 4. This is what Jesus did. Verse 23... And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went out, went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people (laughs) that were taken with diverse diseases and torments and those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic and those which had the palsy, and he healed them. Now, we just established Jesus only did what? The will of the Father, right? And now we're over here, and it says Jesus went about all Galilee. I'm assuming it's a little bigger than the sanctuary we're in. 
Because otherwise you wouldn't say he went about all of these villages and all of these synagogues, right? And it says he taught in synagogues, plural. So there had to be at least two. And so we look at the Bible and we think sometimes, you know, this says he's taught in the synagogue and people were healed. And then you turn over to another gospel account and it says the same thing. You're like, oh, it must be the same one. But it's not. This is what he did day in, day out. He got up in the morning. He went over to this synagogue. He sat down and he taught. People came in and he healed them. He got up the next morning, went to this synagogue, and he taught. People came down, laid hands on them, healed them. Got up the next day, went over here, traveled to this place, and met people on the way and healed them. This is what Jesus did for three, three and a half years every day. He didn't take a day off. Nowhere does it say that he flew to Fiji, sat down there for two or three months. Jesus was in that land. He couldn't have flown anywhere. He was walking or riding on a donkey. He taught everywhere he went. Brother Jesse and Brother Keith are talking about every time they go somewhere, they talk about God. That's what they do. When they're together, they preach to each other because preachers preach. They talk about God. Jesus was our example. He talked about the Father. Every time he went in the synagogue, he didn't tell them stories about something that happened down the road. He taught them on the Word of God and showed them the good news of the Gospel and they received their healing. You see, they didn't come just for healing. Many of them didn't. Over and over, the Bible says that they came to hear and were healed. You see, they came to hear the good news of the Gospel. And they got healed. And here, Jesus went into Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness. Now, that means he didn't leave one sickness out. You see, in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you go down to about 60, 61 in there, it says, just in case you didn't understand that all this sickness is the curse, we're going to say that anything that's not included in this law is also part of the curse if it's a sickness. You see, he doesn't want you to be left out. It's just like him him saying, you know, this day I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He didn't leave you hanging. He said, hey, choose life that you and all your seed will be blessed. He didn't leave you out. He always gave you an answer and he led you to it with the word of God. Let's go to Matthew again in chapter eight. We'll just turn over a few chapters. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. Matthew chapter 8, verse 16. And when even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits with his word, and healed all that were sick. It doesn't say that he chanted over them and he hooped and hollered and he walked around them and he hovered over them for hours. And Have you looked at that? He walked in and he said, get out. It was gone. Has no other option. He didn't come up and say, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're almost there. Oh, we almost got it. Yep, oh. I've been on the other side of that. I learned since then. When we traveled and, and ministered, And uh, the Lord was so gracious to us. It was amazing. Um, 
I grew up in a denominational church that was fabulous. I learned more Old Testament stuff and, and stories and stories of the Bible. We did quiz bowls. We did all kinds of stuff and knew the Word. But you know, I never saw one healing line in my church. I didn't know that you could lay hands on the sick and then recover. And until a few years back, whenever we were ministering and we saw people get healed, I was like, wow, that's cool. You know, they come in this way and they leave another way. You're like, wow, that was cool. You know, I hadn't seen it. I didn't know it was out there. But God was gracious to us. We had always prayed everything. Oh, Lord, if it be your will. Isn't that cool? And so we sang a song called Jesus, my healer. And he's the healer of our body, mind and soul. And people would come up to get prayed for, for healing. We lay hands on them. And we didn't know. I was so glad God's gracious. We're laying our hands on these people going, Oh Lord, if it's your will, heal them. Lord, if you could just... And we're sitting over there just pleading and begging and, you know, we didn't know. I'm so glad I know more than I did then. But you know, in spite of us, God healed them. Because He knew our heart. We didn't know all of the right words. We didn't know all of the exact Scripture references. I had never been around healing lines. I didn't know how they worked or what you were supposed to do. People came up and asked for prayer for healing and had faith in our faith. And God healed them. And we saw people healed of all kinds of things. It wasn't because we did something awesome. Because when you look back, you see just how ignorant you were. I mean, some of the things we did, it was like, you know, I'm really glad His grace is sufficient for even me. Because it just didn't make sense. And you look back and you're embarrassed. You don't want to go back there because you're like, man, we prayed for like an hour over that, you know. And yeah, but we learned. And in spite of us, we told the Word of God to those people. And God watched over His Word. And performed it on our behalf. Because we stepped out and we said, you know, I believe in my God and I believe He's the healer. And I'm going to step out and we're going to pray. Now granted, the first time we laid hands on somebody, the guy I was with leaned over toward me. and I'd never seen it. First time ever laying hands on people just outside of about 45 minutes from here. We sang this song. A little boy had had a... Um, had had 12 brain surgeries in 18 months. He was an 18-month-old baby. Every time the shunt would fill up, he'd get lethargic and get to where he didn't move, and they'd rush him to Columbia to the children's hospital and have him opened up and the shunt cleaned out. The parents, when we sang that song, cried and brought this baby up. We had never laid hands on anybody. And the guy I'm with leans over, looks at me, he goes, Lord, we're going to do our part, but you better do yours. And and that's where we started, right there. So we all kind of looked at each other and we're like, almost like you're reaching out to something that was real hot. You're like, you touch him first. And so we reach out and we lay hands on this baby. And the baby threw up all over everything. The guy I was with said, 
whatever's in him come out. And it did. They left the room. They brought the baby back out, brought him back down. We prayed again over him. And uh, that night they were going to take him to the children's hospital. But by the end of the service, he was playing a little. So they thought, we'll wait till morning and we'll drive up when it's not so late. In the morning, he was fine. The next day, he was fine. We checked on him for four years and he had never had any more issues. That's what God does. In spite of us. Because we weren't there. We had a song we thought was really cool. And we sang it and people were inspired with it and and had faith. And so they came up. And it made us step out of our comfort zone to something that God has used. And we have seen tons of things. And it isn't us. And that's what I want to show you and tell you. The reason I went through everything we've gone through, the people in Egypt were not the best. But God healed them. We were not Oral Roberts or Papa Hagen. We had no idea. But in spite of us, God healed that baby and many others. Because His Word says that He would heal. And whenever we stepped out of our comfort zone, we landed in the comfort of the Word of God. And He made it happen. Glory to God. Let's go to Luke. Did I read the one that we went to there? Okay. I don't know if I read Matthew 8, 16. Did anybody else read it? Okay, we're going to read it then right now. Matthew 8 and 16. Yeah, and when evening has come. Okay, I did read it. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Let's go to Luke chapter 6. See, you get talking about stuff and forget exactly where you're at. Luke chapter 6, verse 19. And the whole multitude sought to touch him, for there went virtue out of him, and he healed them all. You see, somebody had to have done something wrong. One of those people had to have had a bad day. One of those people had to have fought with their wife before they got to church. One of those people had to have been mad at the car in front of them because they were driving too slow and they were late. One of those people had to have done something that day. But it didn't say anything about that. It said Jesus healed every one of them. See, it didn't matter what they did. It was the love and the grace of God. And that's where we're at tonight doesn't matter where you're at, what you've done. It's the love and the grace of God. You're not here on your own merit. You're not here because you've done all of these great things and you deserve to be healed by God. If you are, I'm sorry. There's an exit sign right up there. No, I'm just kidding. You're not going to get healed thinking you deserve it. You're not going to get healed because you need to do something and your sickness is an inconvenience on you you see if your desire is to do the will of God God's going to heal you immediately 
But if your desire is that, you know, my knee's really bad and I can't slide into third base like I used to and we got a tournament coming up, so I really need healed. You see, that's not something that I see God going, oh yeah, put that one up in the front. We need to really take care of that one because, you know, they're going to get a six-inch trophy. So we should really, we should really take care of him because... You know, that six-inch trophy up there on that dusty shelf, it's going to be something that everybody's going to notice. And that's not what moves God. Whenever you look around and you go, you know, if God healed me today, and I walked out those doors and every person that knew me before today said, what happened? And I could say, God healed me. I went in there and they talked about the goodness of God and I said, okay, I'm ready. And I received from God and I walked out changed. That is why God heals you. It's the goodness of God and He wants everybody else to know it. And if you're just wanting healed so you can hide in your corner and not give glory to God, you need to look back here at, uh, who was it, Gideon. You might as well turn there because we're going to end up there anyway. Gideon in Judges chapter 7. This does not relate to healing per se. It does not say, and Gideon laid hands on people and they were healed. Not anywhere in there. But Gideon in Judges chapter 7, he goes into a battle with 32,000 troops. Okay? And God looks at Gideon and says, you know, you got way too many people. Because if you go in, you might... Now, later on, it describes these people as like swarms of locusts. The people in this valley are like swarms of locusts. And the camels alone are like the sand of the seashore. Now, I don't know if you've ever sat on the beach and tried to count sand. There's a lot of them out there. So the camels alone are like the sand of the seashore. And so Gideon's like, you know, we only got 32,000 people. And God goes, you got too many. Because if I help you and I give them into your hand, you're going to go out and by some strange way think that you had something to do with it. See, they didn't even have one man per camel, let alone one man per person. So they were way outnumbered. But with 32,000 people, the Lord said, I can't let you Go in like that and help you. If you want to go in on your own, go in. But for me to help you, you've got to get rid of those people. So he asked the ones that are afraid. 22,000 of them walk off. Not any fear in that camp. They didn't have that redeemed from fear kind of series, did they? <laughs> so 22,000 of them leave. And they take off. And Gideon's thinking, i got 10,000 people now. And God goes, you still got way too many. And so God tells them to take them to the creek and let them drink. And the ones that do this and this and this, the rest all go to go home. The ones that are watching and are alert when they bring their hand up and drink the water, you get to keep those. Well, how many of you know if you got 10,000 people along a creek and you're walking around going, okay, you can go home, you can go home, oh, this one, you can go home, you don't realize how many people you sent home. Right? So Gideon's walking around, send them home, yep, send those guys home, yep, send those guys home, yep, yep. 
Then he turns around and there's 300 people left. So now Gideon's in faith. He may not have been before, but all of a sudden Gideon is really strong on the Lord because he just sent all of those people home and he's down to 300 people. And the camels alone are like the sand of the seashore. And so if you read on about it, they don't take swords. They don't take shields and armor. They got a torch. They got a trumpet. And they got a pitcher. Now, anybody that's been in the military is that standard issue. You did not go into basic training and them go, okay, you hold your torch up this high. And it's not in there. So Gideon takes his 300 guys and they walk out and they surround all of these camels. Okay? I'm talking about the camels because they're the sand of the seashore. You know, tons of them out there. Swarms of locusts and all of these other people. And these 300 people space out and surround this huge valley. Then they blow their trumpet, break their little pitchers, and they stand. (laughs) So, that's what they do. It says in verse 21, let me turn to it. In verse 21, And they stood every man his place around the camp, and all the host ran and cried and fled. So they did this and then they stood. Now, That in itself is an act of God. Because you got camels like the sand of the seashore that are scared. And they're going to run somewhere. And you got 300 people. Have you ever herded cattle? They want to go wherever you're at. They're in any other place they'd rather be than whatever gate or opening you're standing in. Well, camels like the sand of the seashore. And all of these camels get scared because everybody else is dying. Bodies laying everywhere. And all these camels run. And you got 300 men unarmed blowing their little trumpets. And these camels running everywhere. Well, if you go on down to chapter 8, verse 4 and 5... If you read 4, And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him. This is after the battle. They're now chasing what few are left of all of these camels and all of these people. And he's still got 300 men. Not one of them got ran over by a camel and is lame. Not one of them had an inadvertent arrow fly his his way and, and didn't dodge it correctly. Not one of them stumbled over a rock and got, got skinned up so bad he couldn't continue. Now they're running so much they're faint and they're tired from chasing after the enemy and there's still 300 of them. You see, that's God. The same God that put in His Word that it was His will to heal you and that He sent His Word to heal you. If He can take 301 people and conquer three or four nations that had camel like the sand of the seashore and not lose one. He can heal your leg or your back or whatever you stand in need of. 
You see, that's the God I serve. The God I serve doesn't want there to be a chance otherwise. He wants you to know that it's Him. And if you don't know that it's Him, He's not going to put a lot of of stock in it. Because He's not going to receive the glory. You see, that's exactly what He told Gideon. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with you... This is uh, 7 verse 2. The Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand has saved me. See, if you can construe some way that you had the right vitamin count and the cancer died... Or, you know, I walked into Walmart and I just knew I was supposed to be there. And when I walked in, it all went away. Or whatever it is. If you can construe it some way to take all of that glory from God, it's going to be just like Gideon. When he doesn't receive the glory from it. You see, <laughs> there's Scripture. Um, and you, It's in Psalms. Um, But uh, it says, I shall not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. Okay? It says, I shall not die, but live. Now, the reason you want to live in that scripture is so you can declare the works of the Lord. That's the goal. That's the reason. Now, why should you feel like you have that right? Go to John 3.16. Now, all of you have heard this. I did a deal in healing school to try to get everybody to kind of realize sometimes when you hear something over and over and over, you just think you know it when you really don't have any revelation on it. You've heard it so many times that when somebody brings it up, it's just like then. I said, John 3.16, part of you are like, yes, for God so loved the world he gave his only God. You're running through it in your head. But there's enough revelation in that one verse to change your whole life, your whole world, and the world over. But you're going, for God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son. And you're rattling through it like you know it. And yet, you're not living and walking the fullness of it. See, if you could just grasp this one verse, you would never lack, you would never be sick. You would never go without. You would have plenty to give to every good work in every situation. Not one time would you have to stand and believe God for it. Because if you just understood that God so loved the world, if you understood what that word love meant, you wouldn't have any of the other. And so, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you look at the Amplified, it says, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. You see, that gives it a whole other definition than what we call love today. We have kids growing up at three and four saying they love their girlfriend or boyfriend. Or, and then in teenagers, oh, I love you and I love this and I love that. And I love coffee and I love the car and I love... We throw it out. But if you look at it, for God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. 
that He gave up His only begotten Son. So that whosoever believes in, trusts in, clings to, relies on Him shall not perish, come to destruction or be lost, but have eternal everlasting life. You see, we get to the word believe and we think, you know, I believe Mo sitting in his chair today. I saw him there. I don't have to have a lot of faith in it. I saw him sitting there. and So I believe he's sitting there. That is not the same as believing for your healing. Because, see, I saw Mo. And when you stand in faith, you won't see it to begin with. Might as well go there. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in the King James. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So the only way you can get to where you want to go with faith is to be able to believe in something you couldn't see, to be able to to look at something and trust in it to the point that everything in you believes in it. Like Dave said last week, you don't keep the credit card application just in case. You see, you're sold out. I know God will heal me. I'm going to act different. I'm going to walk different. I'm going to do different. I'm not going to reserve all of these other doctor's appointments for the next five years to find out just exactly where it is. Okay? Um, (laughs) I had a motorcycle wreck a few years back. And... We had been teaching on healing and and working with healing and laying hands on people for healing. And when I had this wreck, my body went through a whole bunch of things that that didn't need to be there. We couldn't find some vertebrae in the middle of my back. And the, the people that were there told me I needed to go here and they needed to do this. I didn't have enough faith in myself to be able to believe for all the people around me. So I had to just tell them to leave me alone. And I had to get away from that situation. I called my wife and told her about it. She was wanting to come home and take care of all of this stuff. And I said, a healed man does not have their wife come home early. And so I waited till she got home and then we cleaned me up. Actually, I cleaned me up because she couldn't stand to look at me. And uh, it, was, it was not pretty. But I stood... I went to work the next day. I came to church that night. We had Wednesday night prayer. I was here shaking hands with everybody that came in about four hours after I wrecked the bike. I don't know that half of the people in here even knew anything about it. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't need that because I was healed and I stood on the Word. I showed up. I did what I was supposed to do. I went to my job. I did what I was supposed to do. I did it slower. I didn't reach down and nail a whole lot of stuff together that next day. But I showed up and I did what I was supposed to. My dad called me and told me that God gave me a head. I should use it. And, uh, and I asked my wife if that was scriptural. And, uh, you know, they were doing the best they could with the knowledge they had. I didn't have enough faith to handle all of that negative and keep me healed. And so I had to separate myself from that. And people, if you're here and you're standing for your healing and some of your family is telling you how bad it is, you may need to separate yourself from that. 
Because not only do you have to build yourself up in your most holy faith, as James talks about, but now you've got to build everybody you run into that looks at the situation and aren't in faith with you and tell you, oh, man, you look worse today than you did yesterday. You know, man, are you all right? Are you sure you can do that? Oh, let me get that for you because you those people mean well, but they're not in faith. And so you have to separate yourself from them to be able to receive from God exactly what He wants you to have because now you've got to pick yourself back up to that position. Okay? We're going to go to Galatians chapter 4. And this is kind of where we're wanting to wrap this thing up because we have established it's the will of God for your salvation. That Jesus only did the will of God and He went about healing every person that needed healing. And that not one time did He say, you know, I don't think today's a good day for me. I got all of this stuff going on and, you know, I rode that donkey for the last 30 miles and I'm a little sore. Not one time did He do any of that. Every time, even with the, with the woman that wanted her daughter healed and she, He's like, you know, you don't cast the, the children's bread to the dogs. She stayed with it. She's like, yeah, but all I need is a crumb. You throw one crumb off the table, it's mine, my daughter's whole and healed. Immediately, he knew she had heard from the Father. And so she was healed. You see, that's where we're at. God, that's His will. It's His will every time. Not one time was it different. Now, the reason that we have that right is in Galatians chapter 4. Verse 1, Now I say that an heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the Father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because ye are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Wherefore, thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. You see, that's where that's all coming down to. We know it's His will, and, and we know that all we have to do is believe in God. And when we believe in God, we become a joint heir with Jesus Christ. And if you go over to Romans eight seventeen, Jesus was an heir of all things. Just like Jesus laid hands and healed all that were sick and all that were oppressed. Not one time did He leave them out. At the same time, if you're an heir with Jesus, you have that same option. You have that same authority. If Rick and I are joint heirs of a property and the servants walk out in the field and Rick comes by and he goes, I want those stacks over here. And he walks by and they get started. I walk through and I go, you know, I want them over here. They immediately have to go back to putting them over here. Now, we need to get together because we're making some people really mad. But we have the same authority. They can't say, oh, no, I'm not doing that because he told me this. We're on the same level. We have the same authority. Jesus Himself said it. Go there to John. 
Glory to God. John chapter 12. No, chapter 14, verse 12. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Red letter. Jesus says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. And whatsoever ye shall ask in my name shall I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If ye shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. You see, you're now a joint heir. That's why Jesus could write this in the Bible. If you weren't a joint heir and you didn't have the authority, you could not do the same and greater works than Jesus did. You wouldn't have a right. You wouldn't be able to walk up to somebody that's demon-possessed and say, get out and walk away and know that it's gone because Jesus did it. And He's up here and you're down here. But that's not true. Him dying and being raised again and bearing everything that He didn't deserve so you could have what you didn't deserve. You see, He took our sins that He didn't deserve so we could have the everlasting life and the health that we didn't deserve. And so, in that sense, now you are a joint heir with Christ. Now you have authority. Now when you walk into a room, the demons flee and they're scared. Because when you walk in and you say one thing that lines up with the Word of God, all of heaven takes over for you. Now you've got a, an advocate at the right hand of the Father sitting there waiting, going, all you've got to do is speak the Word. One word, we're all over it. You see, the army of angels is standing at the side, and they're ready to be deployed because you have charge over angels. All you've got to do is speak the Word. Line it up with the Word of God. And everything under heaven will come to your rescue. Just the same as Jesus, if He would have been on the cross and said, You know, Father, I can't handle it anymore. Come get me. Nothing in this earth would have stopped that from happening. In the same sense, when you, you look at your body and you say, Lord, I need healing in my knee. And your word says, I'm a joint heir with Jesus. And I have authority. And I speak unto it, be whole. Everything in the, earth, in the universe and the earth has to line up with the Word of God on your behalf. Everything does. Because now you're not speaking on your own accord. You're not speaking on your behalf. Now you're looking over at your brother and going, Hey brother, you see this? I'm not supposed to have it anymore. Take care of that. Just like you had a big brother in school. <laughs> Dave was talking about. He didn't have to fight because his brother was big and mean. Okay? It's the same with Jesus. You don't have to have the punch. You just have to know the one that had it. And you just got to go, hey, I, I can do this. And Jesus is right behind you, way taller than you are. And He's going, yeah, don't mess with Him. Because you are standing in the stead of Jesus. And when God the Father looks at you, He sees His perfect Son. And when you speak in line with the Word of God, He hears His Son speaking those words because you're doing it on His behalf, in His stead. And everything in the universe has to line up with it. So if you need healing today, all you have to do is take authority over it. You are a joint heir with Jesus. 
You have authority. We put faith in so many things. There's some awesome men of God that, that lay hands on the sick and see them recover all the time. You know why that's necessary? Because those people look at those people and think, if they can just touch me, I'll be whole. Where if they would look and they would see Jesus in John 3.16, the love of God, and go, you know, my Father loves me so much I don't have to put up with this anymore. I'm going to speak to it now, be removed and be cast into the sea. And I'm going to stand as long as it takes to stand. Papa Hagen always said, if you, if you are willing to stand forever, it probably won't take that long. Okay? So, when you get there, stand. Don't be moved. Don't talk the problem after you've done it. Miss Phyllis is teaching all of the youth when we pray over something, not to come back the next week and pray over the same thing. Because you're saying, you know, I don't think you heard me last week because I didn't see the evidence this week. So if you need something from God, take authority over it. He gave you the right. He gave you the option. He gave you the control. And all you have to do is walk in it. There we go. Come on up. Thank you, guys. He, uh, he made us. Rulers, and we can reign because we're rulers. All you have to do is walk in it. <sighs> there are so many people. Can you all stand for just a minute? There are so many people throughout even our congregation and our friends and family that are in need of different things. And the Bible talks about praying one for another. And so we're just going to do that real quick right now. If you have a need and you want prayed for, we are not going to bring you to the front. We're not going to do any of that. All I want you to do is if you want prayer and God, the Word of God showed you something new something you can stand on, something you can get a hold of and believe with, if that Word got in your heart and changed something, just raise your hand that you can have other people join faith with you today. What we're going to do is we're going to look around our, all around us and we're going to join faith with somebody close to us. Because the Word is, of God is true. It always does what He sent it to do. It never, ever failed. Not one time did it come short. And so, if you look around and you see somebody close to you with their hand up, just go and lay your hand on their shoulder. Nothing more than that. We're not going to try to do deliverance or anything. We're just going to lay our hand on their shoulder and we're going to believe with them. You ready? Pray this with me or after me, I guess. Dear Lord... I thank you that you sent your word and it healed me. I thank you that you sent your word and it made me whole. I thank you that every time I speak your word, it comes to pass. I thank you that you watch over your word in my life, in my life 
to perform it. And right now, I speak to cancer and I say be removed. I speak to eyes and I say see clearly. I speak to joints and I say be whole. I speak to gross and I tell them to be removed. I speak to my body and I say line up with the Word of God. I thank you, Lord, that the Word of God has healed me and I stand from this day on healed and whole. And I will not die, but I will live. And I will declare the works of the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.